Hi there. Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga, and I'm a yoga teacher and educator. And my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, my workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All righty. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. This is episode seven, and today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite teaching topics, cues. Yes, because the cues you use can really make or break your students' experience. And we're going to be talking about that today. Why is that? Why does it makes such an impact when you look at the different things that you say when you're teaching. Well, if you say it in a certain way, they'll have no idea what you mean. But if you say it in an effective way, they'll remember it forever. And I certainly think, I know in my own practice, times I've taken class from different teachers and a particular cue will just hit my body and do it in such a way that it really resonates with me. And that is definitely something that I carry from uh, from that point forward. So what are we going to cover today? Well, today's episode really focuses on the types of cues to use in yoga teaching. So if you just kind of stop right there and think about the types of cues, I want you to think about what comes to mind. So think for a second, what categories of cues might there be? So I'm going to give you a few hints here, and this is going to kind of get your brain thinking about this idea of categories. So if you're driving, obviously don't, but maybe even if you're walking or have a moment, you can just stop and close your eyes just to kind of really come into your body here. So I'm going to give you a couple cues. Bring the inner edges of your feet together. Root your back heel down. Draw your outer right hip back. Draw the inner edges of your shoulder blades together. Turn your back hip in, creating the action of internal rotation. Keep your knee over your heel. Soften your shoulders down your back. So did you notice anything different about the cues? I mean, if you're thinking of different kinds of cues, did those cues seem like they were different in some way? So let me pick just four of them and see if you can see how they're different. 
So the first one is root your back heel down. The second one is keep your knee over your heel. The third one, draw the inner edges of your shoulder blades together. The fourth one, soften your shoulders down your back. So what do you think? Do each of these four cues differ in your mind in terms of the kind of cue it is? Do you react differently to hearing each one? Are some clearer to you than others? And if you were a new student, would you imagine some of the cues you just heard would be more helpful than others? What about the type of class? Would that make some of what you heard more or less appropriate for a restorative class versus, let's say, a power yoga class? So now that we've gone through that little exercise, let me preface the breakdown of kinds of cues with my own theory. Effective cues are the bedrock of good teaching. What? How is that possible? Sure, we spend time on cues in our 200-hour training, but there are all these other aspects of teaching. What about assisting? What about presenting yoga theory? What about sequencing? (laughs) So here's my point. Think about the one thing, the one thing that all teachers share when it comes to teaching using their words to guide people through the practice. That's the one common thread. So it stands to reason that if cueing is the one thing that is consistent from style to style, and further, if cueing is the primary way that you present the practice versus something like maybe practicing with your class, then it stands to reason the cues that you use will really make or break your student's experience. The bottom line is this, using your words to take people through practice is the most common way to share yoga. So what you say really can make or break your student's experience in class. So what I wanna do now is, I actually have a a PowerPoint presentation in front of me, which of course you can't see, but I'm gonna be referring to it here. And we're gonna go into more detail around these types of cues. So let's first look at the four categories, what I'm holding out is the four categories of types of cues. The first kind is an action-based cue. The second is an alignment-based cue. The third is an anatomy-based cue. And the fourth is a feeling-based cue, or I call it also other, but mostly it falls into feeling-based cues. So let's look at these one by one. So first, when we look at an action-based cue, These are cues that primarily communicate what action you want your students to take. They're short, easily understood words. They definitely are not Sanskrit words, although you might provide the word in English and then Sanskrit if applicable. So something like draw the belly button in or Uddiyana Bandha. Action-based cues are easily understood by anyone, regardless of their experience with yoga. They help communicate the biomechanics of many poses. So you could be using words like press or leverage, for instance. They help us cut through distraction by getting right to the action we want the students to take rather than going on with unnecessary wording. 
These are cues that speak to the shape of the pose and they describe the shape of the pose without getting into the why, right? I put that in quotes, the why we are suggesting it be done that way. And they don't get specifically into the anatomy. And I want you to kind of remember this one distinction because this is, um, this is one of the challenges I think for a lot of yoga teachers is that they, you know, here I'm talking about alignment-based cues. I think I might've said action. So these are alignment-based cues. They speak to the shape of the pose. They describe the shape of the pose without getting into the why. So this is often where yoga teachers stop. They stop their understanding there. They don't get more information. They didn't retain information from their training. So they're really out there teaching shapes without the why behind the shape is the way it is. Then we go to anatomy-based cues. Anatomy-based cues describe the actions and include something about the anatomy. So you might specifically speak to the parts of the anatomy and how they contribute to the alignment or action of the pose. You might correlate the action in the pose to an activity done off the mat using the same anatomical action or part of the body. One of my favorite examples here is if, if you ask people to interlace the fingers and draw their shoulder blades closer together, and then you ask them uh, or you suggest to them that they could do this if they're sitting at their desks for many hours at a time to stretch the front of the chest, the pectoral muscles. So that's a really nice way to teach the anatomy and then to give them something to do off the mat with that same cue. And then the fourth category are feeling-based cues. So this typically speaks to an emotional aspect of the pose or an emotional action that the student can take or maybe an emotion that the student might be feeling. It speaks to, a cue like this speaks to the emotions directly. It might, um, cues in this category might suggest emotions that the student might feel that possibly relate to the type of pose, the shape of the pose, or the action the student is taking. It could also just be um, cues that are less specific uh, in their languaging and use language that is just more artistic. So let's go into some examples of the different kinds. So you can start to get a sense here of what I'm talking about. So here are some action-based cue examples, right? So this action words, really clear, easy to understand regardless of your experience level in yoga. Press down, as in press your back heel down. Reach up, as in reach your arms up. Root down, as in root your heels down. Twist, as in twist from your center. Draw in, as in draw your belly button in. Press away, as in press away from the floor. So those are action-based. So now let's go to some alignment-based cues. So this is where we get into the shape, right? The shape of the, of the pose. Stack your knee over your heel. Stack your hips over your heels. Center your hips. Align your heels. Widen your stance, right? So here we're giving people shape information, right? But we're not saying anything about why. I mean, think about widen your stance. Uh, think about when you're teaching crescent lunge and you might say to the class, widen your stance here versus when you're in warrior one, when you might hear to align the front heel with the back heel. And you, you probably stop there, right? And so the student is maybe potentially left with this question mark over their head, like, why, 
why? Why should I widen my stance? So you can start to see how, although it can be helpful and very translatable and easy to understand, action cues and alignment cues, you're really missing the connecting piece that the student needs to understand why the cue is what it is. And I promise you, once you start to share the why, which really lives in the anatomy many times, that's when the light bulbs are going to go off for your students. And those are the types of cues that really can be um, impactful enough that they remember them from class to class. So let's go into some of these anatomy-based cues. So here are some examples. Squeeze your shoulder blades together to contract the rhomboids. So right out of the gate, you might be thinking, oh my God, do you mean I'm going to have to know the rhomboids? And are you also suggesting I actually use that muscle name, which is not a really common muscle? So again, this is just an example, <laughs> right? Um, I would say that a smattering of some of these muscle names that are not super common is appropriate in yoga class. Why not share some actual information beyond some of the things that you might hear commonly like pectoral muscles or um, hip flexors, which even that is a basket term that can refer to a number of different muscles. Why not teach your students what actual muscles are hip flexors? Okay, so that's an example. Internally rotate your thighs. Center your kneecap. Relax your upper ribs, right? So you're asking people to distinguish between upper ribs, lower ribs. Flex your foot, right? And that's a, another really good example. You ask people to flex or point, or maybe not so much point, because I think that's more commonly understood, but flex, right? Now we're talking uh, dorsiflexion, the anatomical term dorsiflexion, which we don't say when we teach, we say flex. But you can tell sometimes people are unsure about flex versus point. And you can watch their actions as you maybe have them lift the leg and you might say flex the foot. And you can kind of see people moving their foot around like, I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, another example of an anatomy-based cue is externally rotate your upper shoulder, right? And that's a tricky one. I mean, external rotation is definitely not in the common vernacular. What is in the, in the more common vernacular? And I think it's open, right? So open typically means externally rotate when you boil it down. But it's very rare. I don't know that I've ever been in a yoga class where someone has ever said external rotation. I often use it after I say open, open your hip, or in this case, we're talking external rotation. And then if I have them lift the leg and dial the upper toes down, I might say to them, notice how this is a closed hip. This is more internal rotation. So I try to help them discern the differences, both in the terms and in the sensations in their body. And then the last category are these feeling-based cues, right? So these are things like soften your hips, melt your heart, um, release the tension in your shoulders, release any emotions you're holding on to. So I think, you know, you're probably familiar with these terms in, in like restorative classes or, you know, more of a class that's a slow flow with a lot of props, something like that. So, you know, just to kind of reiterate some of these examples. So press your back heel down, right? So we're talking action, press your right heel down. Uh, twist from your center. So again, action cue. So you might see something like that in a twisting crescent shape. Um, what about in a pose like eagle, right? Eagle pose. Think about the action of the arms wrapping and the legs wrapping. So what's an action word there? So hug, hug your inner thighs in. So the anatomical term is internal rotation when you're talking about the hips, but the, but the more baseline, you know, action-oriented cue 
cue is hug your inner thighs in. What about in warrior two, that forward knee? Stack your knee over your heel, right? Again, now we're talking alignment. We're talking to the shape. We're not really telling the student why, like why? And I often wondered, this was often in my early experiences of yoga because I had some anatomical background from my undergraduate um, uh, education. You know, this why? Why are they harping on this knee over heel? Uh, center your hips, right? This is again, this is shape of the pose. So something like chair, you might say center your hips or center your sitting bones towards the back of your mat or drop your sitting bones towards your heels. You know, these are, these are more cues in that, that alignment category. So then we start to move into cues that are um, starting to bring the anatomy into it. So think about coming into camel pose, right? So students are on their knees, you ask them to drop back, squeeze your shoulder blades together, and then you could say contracting the rhomboids. These are the muscles that are responsible for drawing, in part, responsible for drawing the, the shoulder blades closer together. Um, think about in triangle, right? You have the base in triangle, like a pyramid pose. You're rotating the torso. The arms are stretched out, right? The arms are extended. And um, you might cue internally rotate your thighs, right? Another way to say it is spin your inner thighs towards the back of the mat, right? So this is that internal rotation. So, you know, further, I want you to think about this. When you say something, does it land on your students in such a way that you create action simply by what you say. And this is this is definitely something that can be really, really helpful is just to really say something and then notice is the cue having the desired effect. So if not, is it what you're saying? You know, so your cues and your presence are two key aspects of effective teaching. Are you watching your students? Are they doing what you suggest? Or are you practicing, assisting, changing the music, or listening to your own internal feedback? And, and this is definitely a challenge. I mean, I think for all of us, I know definitely for myself, depending on what's going on in my life, there are times uh, on that particular day, there are times when I can be teaching and thinking of something else in the background. It's kind of like having an alternate script running at the same time. So what renders a cue harder to understand? Let's kind of break this down a little bit. So if a cue is too long and complex, that's definitely one thing that's going to get in the way. If a cue has very flowery language, now this, of course, depends on the context. So by flowery, I mean something that's very emotionally laden or very artistic. Um, if the cue is not applicable to what the person is doing, right? Then it's going to be harder to understand. And if it refers to feelings, not actions. So this can, this is a little bit of a tricky one because I think sometimes it can be helpful to remind your students to listen to their body and to touch base with how they're feeling. And I think it's a really common experience for people to come to yoga or any form of exercise and have this mindset that they want to push themselves to a particular fitness level or to, a, to achieve something. And in those scenarios, it's super common for people to get injured because they're, they're very much in their head and attached to this 
approach and they're not listening to their body. So I think in some ways it can be helpful to suggest to your students or to gently remind them, you know, listen to your body touch base with how you're feeling, see how you're feeling, or just ask them, how are you feeling? You know, obviously they're not going to say anything, but this is just kind of a query that you're throwing out there to trigger that um, action in your students. I think that what, what can trip us up as teachers is when we say things like, you should be feeling this, or you should, or this should feel good. You know, those kinds of things get really tricky. We don't know what our students' experience are. And so even though we can open a book and we can read about the hip flexors, let's say the psoas and the rectus femoris, and we know these are muscles that can get tight if you're a runner or you're a cyclist. So we might be doing something like lizard or some low lunge. And we, you know, we might say something just in passing like, oh, this should feel really good because we just did all of these other things and now we're doing this. You know, that kind of thing just it really rubs me the wrong way because we're making an assumption. And this is, again, in my opinion, just kind of lazy conversation by yoga teachers who are way too connected to a script in their head and not really being present. And I'm not saying it comes from um, a bad place. And I'm just saying bad because I can't think of any, any other word at this particular moment. I'm saying it, it oftentimes comes from just kind of being in this script and the alternative is to just say and just let it be, right? And and to not kind of try to fill in the spaces with these little conversational snippets that really, um, they really don't apply, right? And then they start to get us into territory where we really don't want to be, which is things like saying, you know, you should be feeling this or you should be feeling that, or doesn't that feel good? Or this should feel good as a counterpose. I don't know. It just, um, to me, it really stands out as something that um, we would not want to be encouraged, encouraging teachers to say. You can certainly send me a note and let me know what you think. So another aspect here is does you know, this idea of this artistic language, since we're talking about that, does it mean that you never use flowery language or artistic language? Well, not necessarily. You know, I, I think we have to appreciate as yoga teachers, there is nuance in a lot of the topics we discuss. And this is this one we're talking about here definitely is one of them. So not necessarily. I would say we want to use it sparingly. It depends on the style of class and your emphasis. And if your definition of an effective class involves tapping into feelings and sensations, then sure, it's appropriate. I mean, if you're teaching a restorative class and it's a slow flow, and maybe even it has maybe it even has another kind of theme. Maybe you're doing it at a particular time of year, or you've wrapped some kind of self-care or compassion theme around it. Um, yes, absolutely. Students are going to expect that. And it's fun to dive into different themes like that, uh, especially if you're a teacher who primarily focuses on functional movement. So let me just go through a couple other pieces here. So this idea of action-oriented teaching, right? So now we're making a distinction between, you know, this more restorative versus action. So if your focus is on action-oriented teaching, then your cues need to be action-oriented. I mean, it just stands to reason. So keep in mind, even the most action-oriented class can be a blend. So it doesn't mean it's going to be 100% functional movement, anatomically based cues. You can still mix in those 
kind of feeling-based cues throughout the class. Some of what we talked about earlier, this idea of encouraging your students to tap into how they feel is a great way to make the connection and to pull this other, you know, component uh, of yoga practice into your class. So let me also say this, and this is a, a really nice bridge since we just talked about the idea of nuance. Is there such a thing as a bad cue? And I know that you've seen these posts on social media. I have. I don't even read them anymore. When I see the headlines, it just kind of freaks me out because I know they just want people to click the article. Um, this this theme of an article that the title is usually something like cues I never say or cues I gave up saying or things I wish people never say anymore. You know, remember, like, first of all, can we please develop yoga teachers to have nuance? I mean, unless it's something like such a clear cut thing that's a safety issue, for the most part, there is nuance, right? Context is important, especially when it comes to cues. There are really are not a lot, I don't think, not a lot of absolutes in yoga, which definitely makes it harder for newer teachers to have a comfort level around cues and what they say. You know, I think this is just one of the challenges. It is a a functional movement practice that is contained within an eight-limbed process, which has many different areas of focus. And we're um, focusing on this one aspect, the physical aspect, and applying it to people of all different ages and fitness levels and all of that. So just by its nature, it's going to be really hard to have absolutes. So I would suggest that, you know, even though some of what I'm talking about here, you know, you may kind of sense my passion or passion around particular topics here that we're talking about, I always allow space and I'm never one to say, you know, this is the only way to do it or, or that kind of thing. And I think as teachers, we need to keep that open mind. So this last piece here that I want to talk about is I want to talk about being, uh, being present. And this idea of being present, meaning giving the cues, giving the instructions, and then watching what happens and adjusting what you say as need be. You know, watching what happens again and then moving on if you don't get the desired uh, action from the students, right? We're not there to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. By the same token, though, we're not there to say it once. And then because we're in that script in our head, just keep la, 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 right? We want to say and watch. That's why I always say to teachers, don't practice. Don't practice with your class. Don't put your mat sideways so you're perpendicular to them. Look at them. Put your mat parallel to them so you're facing them. If you're going to do a little something demo-wise or otherwise, face them so you can see them. Being present also doesn't mean changing the music constantly, going to the heat back and forth, looking at your notes, practicing with your class, providing all these extensive assists, listening to your own internal feedback. That's one of my biggest challenges is to kind of stay present, stay present, not be caught up in something else going on in my head. So what 
I'm just going to give you a couple more examples here. What kinds of things might be internal feedback? So you might be worried about how you're coming across. You might be trying to read. Do you ever do this? Trying to read the reactions of your students, trying to read their minds. Oh, that person looks really annoyed. Like they hate this class. And then the person gets up and at the end of class says to you, oh my God, that was the best class ever, right? How many times has that happened? It's happened to me and it's, it's amazing. Um, adjusting your plan based on assumptions you're making, right? So that might be, you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to bail out of this sequence because everybody looks like they're hating it. So, you know, this idea of cueing. So maybe you're listening to all this and, and light bulbs are going off and you're like, yes, 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 great. But you might be thinking, how can I learn better cues? So I'm going to give you some tips. So you can learn better cues, believe it or not, by working with beginners, because working with beginners is going to force you to be succinct and clear. And I promise you, if you're not, the class is going to be really chaotic because these are people that don't know and they're going to be depending on you to be simple, clear, and um, actionable. And so a great way to learn um, good cues and to kind of tweak your cues is to work with beginners. Another way is, of course, um, to dive into anatomy and to build your understanding of what I like to call the why, the why behind the poses, why the body moves the way it does, and in the context of yoga and the why behind a lot of these cues. Another thing you can do is record yourself, just the audio, cueing a class, sit at your desk, talk through a sequence, record it, and then listen back and see what you think when you listen to yourself. Another thing you can do is after you're done teaching, make notes of what worked and what didn't. And this is really important to do as soon as you're done, because as soon as you leave, you know, uh, you know, once the rest of your day goes on, you're going to forget. So it's really helpful if in those initial few minutes after you're done, if you uh, take some time to do a little self-assessment and to, you know, jot down, you know, what really didn't feel feel good and and go back and kind of work on that piece. You know, the other thing you can do as well is to work with a senior teacher and to have that person come to your class and give you some feedback after. And this asks, of course, that you let your guard down and that you're willing to just kind of open yourself up to getting some feedback. And again, keep the nuance thing in mind. It's not that that person is going to be right and you're wrong. It's just getting somebody else's professional opinion um, about certain aspects of your teaching here we're specifically talking about cues so what is the common thread here you know we've gone through all of this about cues and the common thread is that you must have a good working knowledge of anatomy in order to give accurate and effective anatomy-based cues and I will say this while you're learning anatomy you absolutely can use action-based cues and be quite effective. Action-oriented cues, if the right action words are selected, can really be helpful in keeping your students focused on their practice and can help new students easily understand what you want them to do. So sticking to action-based cues and alignment-based cues are two really great ways to kind of stay in your lane as you're learning anatomy. And I think one of the great ways to approach learning anatomy is to break down these action-based cues 
into the whys that go with them. Um, so action, let me say action and alignment. And so as you're, you know, exploring different alignment-based cues and using them, these are of course probably cues that you learned in your teacher training, start to dive deeper into the why. You know, sometimes I go to classes and a teacher will really harp on a particular thing. Here in this lunge, I want you to have your foot ahead of your knee. And I'll be thinking to myself, why is this person harping on this? I can't see the anatomical reason why to have the foot in this particular position. And so, you know, again, if if I'm having that experience and your students are listening to you, I bet they're having that experience too. And additionally, if you share with them the why, especially if you go so far as to say something like, I really want to be sure you blah, 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 blah. Tell them why. Make that connection for them. This is a perfect bridge for you to share a, a piece of anatomy information with them, teach them something about their bodies from a functional movement standpoint, teach them something about the alignment and the action of the pose. They'll carry with them, carry that with them forever. So this was a little bit of a shorter one, um, but we have reached the end, right, of today's podcast. So a few things before we wrap up. I want to hear from you. You know, sometimes I get these emails from people who are loving the podcast, which I love. And I'm not a big person to copy the email and post it on social media or put it on the podcast page. But I love to have these things all in one place because it just gives... Uh, a new person coming to the podcast, a sense of the community around it and the feedback around it. And that can, you know, encourage somebody to listen to the podcast. And so I definitely want to reach more people. And so your um, thoughts and feedback about the podcast will help me do that. But also, more importantly than that, really, it's a window into is this podcast interesting? Is this podcast answering questions that you have? If not, I want to know. And also, I want to know what kinds of questions you you have, especially about anatomy. What are your biggest pain points? What are some things that you're unable to get the answers to out there, you know, kind of as you're teaching? So, feel free, you know, to just add those kinds of comments to the podcast as well. You can visit the website, my website, barebonejoga.com, go to the podcast page and just comment right on this episode. If you're listening on iTunes, you can do it there. If you're listening on Podbean, which is the actual host of the podcast, you can comment there as well. I also want to suggest um, one additional thing. If you want to dive into this particular topic in more uh, detail or review this content in a related way separate from the podcast, I have a presentation you can check out that goes through this entire topic in an actual PowerPoint, which I've been referring to as I've been going through this podcast with you today. So you'll be able to watch it, hear me go through it, and even print it out if you want to. So I'm going to include the link to the PowerPoint in the show notes. And the show notes basically go with each individual episode and they all are on the podcast page on my website. So all you have to do is go to barebonejoga.com, go to the podcast page, and you'll see this particular episode, which is episode seven. And then when you click that, you're gonna see the link to this um, to this. Uh, PowerPoint presentation and it lives in a special web page and you'll be able to just grab that 
and uh, and have that uh, to watch. And you'll hear the audio with that as well. Uh, and then you'll have the podcast too. So it's just a different way to kind of reinforce the information. So I hope that you have enjoyed this one. I actually, uh, I'm here recording in the beginning of November, election day, actually November 6th. And I have two more podcasts coming up this month. Uh, one is going to be uh, part two of the podcast I just did, episode six, with uh, a yoga teacher, Gabby DeLorenz. Uh, she is the founder of Soul to Soul Wellness, uh, and she is um, coming back for part two of episode six, all about anatomy. And then towards the end of this month, I'm going to be bringing on um, two of my friends who run Plank Designs, and they have special yoga mats, which are heat activated. And the founder, Doreen Hing, is a really big anatomy buff. And so she is going to be talking with me, not just really about her product, her special yoga mat, but also we're going to be talking about um, anatomy out there in terms of what's happening in yoga studios, what kinds of things are teachers experiencing and students experiencing. And she's going to bring with her um, one of the people that works with her, and he's got a really interesting story that I think will um, will be really interesting for you to hear about how yoga really changed his life. So I hope you'll stay tuned for those in the next couple of weeks. And thank you so, so much for listening. And I look forward to talking to you uh, on the next podcast. Namaste.